When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to another Headlines episode. On Headlines episodes, we take four news stories that have to do with environmental issues. I condense them, break them down for you, and present them to you in under 15 minutes. Now, today we're doing something slightly different. Usually, we have a feature story. No feature story today. Four stories, all of equal weight and equal importance, so we're going to do two then an ad break, then the final two stories. I should also say, too, we don't have any good news today. I'm just setting expectations at the outset. No good news today. And let's start with story number one, which, of course, has to do with what everybody's talking about, the debt deal here in the United States. The debt deal, assuming it passes in the Senate, which as of this recording on Thursday afternoon, it has not yet, but assuming it passes, it will give a green light to the contentious Mountain Valley Pipeline. Environmentalists are rightfully angered, as you might imagine. And here's the reason. The part that's especially infuriating is that the debt deal will allow unusual measures to basically bypass judicial review. This means that this pipeline will be approved more quickly because, again, no judicial review. Now, let's talk about the pipeline for a minute. The Mountain Valley Pipeline is a $6.6 billion project. It's intended to carry natural gas 300 miles and across nearly 1,000 streams and wetlands before ending in Virginia. And yes, while the Mountain Valley Pipeline was close to having full approval. Half of the project has been already constructed and there were really just a handful of permits in the court system left to be issued. The debt deal will order federal agencies to approve all those outstanding permits in under three weeks. So we're speeding up the project and we're taking away the chance for judicial review. And here's the real kicker, in my opinion. We are circumventing the courts. We're doing a runaround of the courts to get this passed, right? And if you're wondering whether this is highly unusual to do, to bypass judicial review, yes, it is highly unusual. And what makes me so concerned is that this could set a precedent for future energy projects and deals made behind the scenes, etc. Environmental advocacy groups argue that this project will, of course, disproportionately impact the most vulnerable populations among us, low-income, elderly, indigenous, and tribal communities throughout Virginia. 
And then, of course, there's also the environmental implications. Federal regulators have estimated that if all the natural gas carried in the Mountain Valley Pipeline were burned in power plants and homes, it would release 40 million tons of carbon dioxide a year. That is the equivalent of 9 million cars on the road in one year. I'm just going to wrap up this story because I have to say it. It's on the tip of my tongue and I just can't move on without saying it. A reminder to all of us, scientists have warned that nations, including the United States, must stop approving new fossil fuel projects if we want to constrain global warming. All right, let's move on to our plastics problem, our ever-growing plastics problem, I should say. A recent study came out from the United Kingdom last week, and it found that anywhere between 6 to 13% of plastics that are handled at a recycling facility can end up becoming microplastics. So how on earth can this happen, right? We're supposed to be recycling at these recycling centers, but instead we're just creating more microplastics. How does that happen? Well, let's get some numbers straight first and foremost. Worldwide, only about 9% of plastic gets recycled. That's worldwide. Here in the United States, we're doing even worse than the international average. Only these days in 2023, about 5 to 6% of plastics actually get recycled, okay? And of all the plastic types, those numbers in the triangle of arrows at the bottom of your plastic items, only plastic numbers one and two are actually effectively recycled here in the United States. So what happens at these recycling facilities? Well, plastic waste is sorted, then cleaned, then chopped up, then shredded and melted and remolded. So a lot of things are happening at these recycling facilities, right? And when we talk about chopping, shredding, melting, and remolding, it's important to know that there's an awful lot of friction and abrasion and just breaking down of plastic into smaller and smaller pieces. So this study analyzed the wastewater generated by one plant in the UK. And they found that this plant likely produces up to 6.5 million tons of microplastic per year. That's crazy. They also tested the air and researchers found microplastics in the air as well. So when I read this study, I was extremely alarmed. (laughs) Does this mean we should stop recycling? If we're recycling our stuff, and it's just creating more microplastics, should we stop recycling? I feel like that's an important question to ask. Well, according to the researchers of this study, the answer is an emphatic no. We should keep recycling. And the reason is, as long as we're continuing on the international scale to use plastic, mechanical recycling is, as of now, the best end-of-life scenario. So in other words, if we're not recycling it, We'll just keep creating more virgin plastic from fossil fuels. I know, I'm feeling the same way you are. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to take a deep breath on the break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about logs. I'll see you in a minute. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items. And yet somehow 
we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Before the break, we discussed the environmental implications embedded in the debt deal here in the United States. And then we moved along to recent research into the creation of microplastics in recycling facilities. And now we're on to a gigantic pile of logs in northern Canada. You're probably thinking to yourself, I don't want to talk about logs. Oh, yes, you do. You do want to talk about logs. So there's a big pile of logs, 20 square miles worth, about the size of Manhattan, a big pile of logs. And that pile of logs, cumulatively, is storing an awful lot of carbon. Now, who cares about this wood? Well, I care because the wood and the carbon it stores has been protected from decay and from release of all that carbon by cold temperatures, freezing temperatures. The logs are frozen and therefore the carbon is staying in the logs and not being released into the atmosphere. The problem, however, is highlighted in a recent study, which found that an awful lot of the carbon stored in those logs may very likely be released into the atmosphere due to climate change. So a warming earth means thawing, and especially when it comes to logs, a thawing and then a permafrost and then a slow melt and then a rapid melt, that can lead to massive releases of carbon. Now, how much carbon are we talking? I said these logs have a lot of carbon. The estimate is about 3.4 million tons of carbon. And if the problem humanity is facing is too much carbon in the atmosphere, we should all be concerned about 3.4 million tons of carbon potentially being released into the air 
thanks to warming temperatures that are thawing these logs. Now, just in case anybody's ever on Jeopardy, these logs are an example of a natural carbon sink. Natural carbon sinks include forests, peatlands, the ocean. They are really important to controlling climate change because they trap more carbon than they release. In fact, carbon sinks on land, so the forests, let's say, and the peatlands, are estimated to soak up a quarter of the world's total emissions, so a fourth, right? That is a powerful number. A fourth of all emissions are soaked up by carbon sinks on land. And so that's why when we cut down forest or burn forest, it's, of course, devastating to lose the trees, of course. But it's also a major releaser of the carbon that has been soaked up by these carbon sinks. So stay tuned for more news about these thawing logs up in Canada. And finally, today we're moving on to California and we're talking about homeowners insurance. Recently, the largest homeowner insurance company in California, which by the way is State Farm, if you know it, State Farm announced that it would stop selling coverage to homeowners. So no new policies. California residents who currently have State Farm, they can keep their policy, but no new policies. Why? Why is State Farm doing this? I mean, don't insurance companies make money by selling policies, but now they're not going to sell any policies? What's going on? Well, State Farm said it will stop selling new insurance policies because of, quote, rapidly growing catastrophic exposure, end quote. More than 25,000 homes and buildings have been destroyed in California in the last five years due to fires. And the California Department of Insurance Assessment predicts that by the year 2100, 77% more acres will burn every year across the state. So what does that all mean? It means selling new insurance policies is no longer a good deal. It's no longer beneficial. It's no longer a money maker, according to State Farm. This is not just happening in California, in wildfire-ravaged California. Insurance companies all over the United States are tired of losing money. So they are raising rates. They are restricting coverage. They're pulling out of some particularly geographically susceptible areas altogether. And this all just means that it's more expensive for homeowners like you and me to stay in our homes. In parts of eastern Kentucky that were ravaged by storms last summer, the price of flood insurance is set to quadruple. So imagine getting your home insurance bill in Kentucky and it's four times what you paid last year. Four times. In Louisiana, Insurance officials say the market is in crisis and they are offering millions of dollars in subsidies to try to bring insurance companies back into the state. In Florida, homeowners are at the moment increasingly finding it difficult to purchase storm coverage. Most big insurance companies have already pulled out of Florida and that means that homeowners have to take out policies from smaller private companies that are really trying to stay in business. And so the bigger issue here, of course, is that perhaps in California and in Florida, there are pockets of residents who are 
wealthy enough, frankly, to pay these high insurance premiums. But in other places, there's just not enough wealth to pay the premiums. And no insurance in the era of climate change can very likely mean, can very literally mean, losing your home. There's also less money within these lower-income communities to continuously rebuild storm after storm. And so I find myself wondering what the implications are for everyday consumers like you and me who just want to own a home and sleep at night knowing that it's protected if a major weather event destroys some or all of it. So it's my birthday today, and these stories did kind of bum me out, but I'm going to log off. I'm going to say I'll see you Tuesday. Reach out if you need me. Have an amazing weekend. Hug those you love, and take care.